The following podcast contains strong language. It's in the book. And welcome to It's In The Book, a queer Bible podcast. I'm the almost reverend, Jay Sylvan. My pronouns are they, them, there. I am a Unitarian Universalist minister, and I know the Bible pretty well. I'm David Waters. My pronouns are he, him, his. I am Minister for Education at King's Chapel, and I know the Bible pretty well as well. I'm Sue Buzzard, she, her, hers. I am not any kind of minister or almost minister. I am married to Jay and I have a layperson's understanding of the Bible, basically just what I picked up from Sunday school and Christmas and Easter. But I hear all these crazy stories about things that are in the book for reals. And I'm like, that's outrageous. What, how? <laughs> The way this show works is I tell a story from the Bible, David and I talk about it, and Sue reacts to it because usually she has not heard these before. Yeah, no. Like uh, 90%, this is the first time I'm hearing of mm -hmm. them ever. Unless there's been a popular musical about it. Previously in the Bible. So Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and cries on them and kisses all of them and tells them that they shouldn't beat themselves up over selling him to Egypt as a slave because things actually worked out super well for him. And he was able to save the world from this famine. They go back and bring Jacob, their father, to Egypt as well as all of their families. So it says that the total number of the house of Israel in Egypt was 70. Jacob is super happy to see Joseph alive, and they settle in the Egyptian region of Goshen. And it says that the family was fertile. Fruity is the uh, literal mm -hmm. translation of that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And multiplied a lot. That's awesome. The famine lasted five more years. And when the Egyptians ran out of money, Joseph trades food for their livestock. And when they ran out of livestock, he traded food for their land. So the house of Pharaoh now owns almost all the land in Egypt and all the people have become serfs. Mm. Womp womp. Mm. So Sue, this is the end of Jacob's story. Yeah. Jacob is actually coming to the end of his life. What do you know about that? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> well, the musical ends with Joseph and Jacob, you know, son and father being reunited and it's this great beautiful moment and then there's like a closing dance number and that's it so <laughs> we never see number. yeah we never see you know like you know like everybody's doing now we never see jacob die well here we're gonna see it so yeah this is super <laughs> brand new to me i'm excited the bible loves to show us daddy's dying well it does doesn't it oh boy. <laughs> it does <laughs> okay so Let's get it right into it then. So it says that Jacob lives 17 years in Egypt and that the total days of his life come to 147 years young, which sounds like a lot to us. But if we remember that not that long ago, people were living 900 years and such, and that, you know, his grandparents were living 200 years and such, it really does seem like the lifespan is decreasing. Mm. 
Jacob's the original live hard, die young. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he did. Didn't he, though? (laughs) So when the time comes for him to die, he summons Joseph and says, place your hand under my thigh. Remember, that's like an oath. So it could be place your hand on my junk. We don't know. But it's just like an an intimate oath thing. And, And he says, swear to me, please do not bury me in Egypt. When I lie down with my ancestors, take me from Egypt and bury me in their burial place. So back back in Canaan town. Canaan and Joseph is like, I swear I will do as you have said. And then sometime later, Joseph hears that Jacob is ill. So he takes his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to see him. Mm-hmm. Israel summons his strength to sit up on his bed, and he says, El Shaddai, which is his name for God, appeared to me in Canaan and said, I will make you fruity and numerous, and I'll assign this land to your offspring forever. So your sons were born to you in Egypt, will be mine now, I've decided. (laughs) (laughs) Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, no less than Reuben and Simeon. So like, this is, okay. So remember how he said like, there's some switcheroo that happens with the 12 tribes of Israel. So what happens, even though Israel has 12 sons, somehow Levi gets left out of that. Like when later when they name the tribes, Levi and Joseph don't get named. There's no tribe of Joseph. And there is a tribe of Levi, but they end up just being the priests and they're not really mentioned as like a tribe. And... Manasseh and Ephraim are kind of take their place. All right. So this kind of explains why that happens, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, as much as it does. Right. (laughs) So Jacob says, I'm doing this because when I was returning from Paddan, your mother died in childbirth and I buried her on the road to Bethlehem. So Rashi says, explains this by saying that he's adopting Joseph's children because he feels guilty for not bringing Rachel's body to Bethlehem for a proper burial. Sure. Not sure how that makes up for it. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, but I guess in your head, you feel like it does. It does Hmm. make sense that that could be what is going through his head here. Mm Maybe. Okay, anyway. We're going through his feelings. Yeah. And it says that Jacob's eyes were dim with age, just like Isaac's had been, remember, when he tricked him and stole the birthright, and he couldn't see. So he asked Joseph to bring his sons closer so he may bless them. And Joseph says, I thought, Jacob says, I never thought I'd see you again, and now I see your children. And he hugs and kisses them. So Mm. Joseph brings Ephraim to Israel's left hand and Manasseh, his firstborn, to Israel's right, which is like the fancy hand. But it's like, you know. No, um, I I know. But Israel crosses (laughs) his hands and he crosses his hands and he puts his right hand on Ephraim and his left on Manasseh, which brings back the sibling switcheroo. Look from at before. That. And Jacob says, bless these boys in the name of God, who has been my shepherd my whole life, and in the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they be multitudes upon the earth. So Joseph sees his father placed the wrong hand on the wrong head and is like, dad, that's wrong. Manasseh is the firstborn, switch your hands. But Jacob is like, I meant what I meant, son. They're both going to be blessed, but the younger brother shall be greater than he. And thus he puts Ephraim before Manasseh. 
Okay, so remember, Jacob was the younger brother, and he was put before uh-huh. his older brother. So I don't know. He's got a thing. The tradition is passed off. He's got a thing. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So then Israel says to Joseph, "I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back the land of your ancestors, and I assign you one extra portion more than your brothers." Favorites, favoritism, the favoritism. Always favorites. You know, whatever. Then Jacob calls his sons and is like, I'm going to tell you what will happen in the days to come. So Jacob is going to do some some prophesying. Okay. And he does these blessing prediction poem, like a blessing prediction poem. Have we ever seen this before? What do you mean? In the book? Is this a new thing in the book? A what blessing is this? prediction poem? Yeah. What the fuck is this? This, I think this is the first time we see this specific combination where it's like, I'm about to die and I'm going to bless you all and also predict what's going to happen to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a poem. Surprise. Okay. Well, we've seen plenty of poems. Yeah, no. I know we've seen plenty of poems, but I'm yeah, like... Yeah, this, this is not a trope yet. Yeah. <laughs> so he starts with Reuben, and he's like, Reuben, you are my firstborn, exceeding in rank and honor, but you are unstable as water. You will no longer excel, for you mounted your father's bed and brought disgrace. So remember... Oh, geez, spilling all the tea. Reuben banged his dad's concubine. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so in the narrative, it's like Reuben forfeited his birthright when he banged his dad's concubine. And it's also interesting. So then he goes on to Simeon and Levi, and he's like, fuck you two. (laughs) (laughs) What? Why? Fuck Simeon and Levi. No, why? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now I remember. They're the ones who genocided the temple. Yeah. But he's like, they, he's like, they are the same. They're a pair. Their instruments are tools of violence. I want nothing to do with them. They are murderers. May their anger and wrath be cursed. I will scatter and divide them. Fuck them. So I guess they forfeited their birthright status, I guess, because of Shechem. I mean, I don't know, but good. Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, glad that they're not getting anything, but you finally say this now? <laughs> you know, like, sometimes people like to save things for the deathbed. Wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> Delayed gratification. Yes. So then he goes on to Judah and he's like, Judah, you are fucking amazing. Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand will be on the nape of your foes next. Your brothers shall bow down to you. You are a fucking lion, bro. Aww. And a lioness, you are so awesome. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. You will rule and have tributes and homage from the people. He's awesome and attractive. Hell yeah, Judah. (laughs) Bam. Wow. (laughs) I will say, Judah has had a moral journey. Like, he went from selling Joseph into slavery to, you know, having that whole thing with Tamar where he was going to fuck her over. And then she was like, you asshole. Like, look what... Look, you what you no. fucking did. And then it was like, oh shit, like I repent, like you were actually correct in this situation, Tamar. And then offering to sacrifice himself so that, you know, or offering to trade himself for Benjamin so that his father wouldn't be depressed as well. Yeah. So I'll give Judah this. He has had character growth. So now we go on to the NPC sons <laughs> that don't really have a lot of personality or screen time and the dad's like zebulon is a sea guy 
He's going to live by the sea. Uh, Issachar is a strong-boned, toiling surf. All right. Then he says, Dan will be a serpent by the road, biting horses' heels so the rider is thrown off. All right. Gad will be raided by raiders, but will raid them right back. He is not in his right mind Uh, right now. I'm just going, I'm just coming out and saying it. Yeah, that's what they do in the Red Tent. They like have him just kind of be old and and kind of raving. Yeah. He's um, like, now this and this son will do this and you will be here. And I'm like, this is not based on any kind of reality, dude. Like, where is this going? Okay, anyway, carry on, carry on. I just had like, to put Fasher that out there. will be rich in bread. And <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Have, you guys, wow. have either of you guys watched Black Lady Sketch Show? I need, oh, to. Likes I need it, to watch yeah. it so okay. bad. I've just seen like some stuff, some like, you know, clip highlights that they put on YouTube. Okay. When you said rich and bread, it reminded me of the Dr. Hadassah where somebody says, like, he's the breadwinner, right? Or I'm the breadwinner. And Aww. she's like, oh, no. White folks got you thinking bread is a prize? <laughs> oh, man. It's pretty funny. That's great. Rich in bread. Yeah. So Naftali is... A wild doe who speaks beautifully. What? Like, <laughs> is it like you're just like handing out awards? It's now? a slam poem. It's like, okay, yeah, it's, exactly. It's a slam poem. It's yeah. Like, I wrote this. Graduation time, everybody gets a prize. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then he's like, Joseph is a fruitful son by a spring. Archer tried to shoot at him, but his bow stays taut and his arms are made strong by the shepherd, the rock of Israel. You are blessed by God and heaven and the deep and the breast and the womb. The blessings of your father surpass the blessings of my ancestors. And may they rest on the head of Joseph, the elect of his brothers. Slam poem. Just think of it as a slam poem. And then he's like, Benjamin is a violent wolf. In the morning he eats and in the evening he divides his prey. Slam poem. So yeah. those were the 12 tribes of Israel, sort of. And their father bids them farewell with tailored words for each one. And then he's like, all right, I'm about to die. Make sure you bury me with my ancestors in the cave, which is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, which Abraham bought fair and square <laughs> to bury, <laughs> to bury Sarah. I remember that. And where Sarah, Abraham, Rebecca, Isaac, and my wife, Leah, but not Rachel, because I left her on the side of the road, are buried. Oh, Lord. So all those, all those periarchs, those patriarchs and matriarchs get named, name checked. And he's like, that's where everyone's buried, except Rachel, because I left her on the side of the road. And I want to get buried there, too. Is that part in the book where he just says that real fast under his breath? Uh, It's implied. Okay. <laughs> no, but that that part's not that. Yeah, that part's my my edition. However, it does remind us here that Abraham bought it from the Hittites like four times. <laughs> so and really I can't stress this enough. He bought it from the Hittites <laughs> and fairly from the Hittites. Then Jacob finished speaking to his sons and drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last scene. So Joseph flings himself on his father's bed and weeps over him and kisses him and he orders his doctors to embalm israel and they did and the embalming because remember they're in egypt oh yeah right 
So it's like local flavor. The embalming process took the standard 40 days and the Egyptians mourned him for 70 days. And when the mourning was over, Joseph went to Pharaoh and said, look, my father made me swear not to bury him in Egypt, but in Canaan. So please let me go bury him there and then I'll come back. And Pharaoh's like, okay, go for it. Pharaoh is very accommodating to Joseph. Mm -hmm. Gives him all the vacation and days in personal leave Unlimited vacation. Mm -hmm. Unlimited Unlimited. vacation time as long as you get your work done. Bereavement, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Joseph went up to bury his father with all of Pharaoh's officials and Egypt's elders, together with all of his brothers and his father's household. Only their children and flocks stayed behind in Goshen. There were chariots and horsemen, and it was this huge royal processional going up to Canaan to bury Jacob. And his sons honored their promise and buried him in the cave, which Abraham had bought for Sarah from Ephron the Hittite. So Sarah is the first patriarch buried in the family tomb. Remember that. Then after he was buried, everyone returned to Egypt. Now Joseph's brothers start to worry that now that Jacob's dead, Joseph is going to pay them back for bullying him and selling him into slavery, that minor thing when they were younger. Mm -hmm. So they send him a message being like, hey, before dad died, he asked us to give you this message. Forgive your brothers for treating you so harshly. (laughs) We found this mysterious uh, note, yeah, that he left behind under his Dad totally said you should totally forgive us. And then Joseph cries again. And his brothers fall before him and say, we will be your slaves. But Joseph is like, don't be afraid. Am I a substitute for God? Besides... Though you meant evil against me, God meant it for good to bring about the present result to save the lives of many people. So don't worry, I will sustain you and your children. So he reassured them and the whole family stayed in Egypt. It says Joseph lived 110 years, long enough to see three generations of Ephraim's descendants, so his son descendants, and great-grandchildren by Manasseh. Finally, Joseph said to his family, I'm dying. God will definitely pay attention to you and bring you up from this land to the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob eventually. Mm-hmm. It's defo going to happen. Wait for it. Yeah. Wait for it. <laughs> when God notices you, swear you will carry my bones from here. And says, Joseph died at the age of 110. Spring chicken. And was embalmed and mummified and placed in a tomb same word as an ark in Egypt. Wow. And the good really do die young. I know. <laughs> 110. Mm-hmm. Oh, too soon. Far too, <laughs> too soon. Too so, soon. Many, so many years ahead. So mm. many years ahead of him. Right. Final thoughts. Wow. I'm remembering that this part of this podcast is like, wow, these stories are crazy. But another part of it is like, what does this tell us? And meaning making. And mm. I'm thinking about how this, you know, this episode kind of was just a lot of Jacob being like, hey, kids, here's what you're all about and what your future is going to be. And now I'm dead. And like, what are we going to I'm wondering, I'm curious, are we going to see any of that come to fruition? Do they all come to fruition? And also the other part of this episode is Joseph being sad that his dad is dead and burying him and following his wishes and just talking about that and himself dying and the end of his life. And I'm like, what do we get from this? What do we take from this? Is this more like informational about like, hey, when people died, this is what happened. 
or is like, what can we take from this? What can we leave? I have a couple thoughts about that. And some of it is, you know, there's a lot of parallels with, with Jacob's, the beginning of his story, and then where he ends up, you know, it starts with him stealing a blessing from the older son, when Isaac is old and blind, and now he is the old blind man doling mm -hmm. out blessings and giving the blessing to the younger son versus the older son. So there's sort of that circle of life commentary. I think if we're looking at this from sort of a historical critical perspective, we could say like this part, or at least the blessings might have been written at a certain time where maybe the 12 tribes of Israel had these different sort of reputations. And maybe his predictions were sort of describing those reputations, potentially. I mean, definitely, you know, we will see much later the tribe of Judah does end up ruling, right? Mm -hmm. Like David is of Judah and his house ends up being the ruling class in charge, the, the dynasty, the short-lived dynasty, but the dynasty <laughs> nonetheless. So I think there's some of that uh, if we're looking at it from like a literary perspective uh, and a historical perspective. But also, I mean, one of the things I really, that comes up for me a lot as a modern queer person reading this story is just like the family forgiveness vibes and also the non-forgiveness vibes, right? Like what gets forgiven and what doesn't get forgiven. Because mm. like Judah gets forgiven by the story itself, by Jacob. Yeah. And even though Joseph never uses the word forgiveness, Joseph forgives Judah in action, at least, at least from my perspective, it's a forgiveness. But then, you know, Reuben, Simeon, Levi do not get forgiven by Jacob. Well, Simeon and Levi are dicks. I don't know if anyone could think that they would deserve to be pardoned, but I don't know. I mean, like, it's their dad. Yeah. You know, you'd think that maybe at the end of their dad's life, he'd be like, ah, you're still my kids, you know, but he's like, no, all the way. He's like, no, fuck you guys. Yeah. I mean, what's a little genocide amongst family, I guess. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say it is interesting to think about, think about it from that perspective, like what gets, who and what gets forgiven as opposed to not and what, what meaning we could make from that. So, yeah, I'm just mulling that. Yeah. So this, my, my whole, my notes here that I had written about, like, it actually makes me think of Dolly Parton, St. Dolly Parton. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> as, I, as I refer to her as. Because a while back I was listening to this podcast, Dolly Parton's America. It's about Dolly Parton. And I remember hearing her interviewed regarding this story with Porter Wagner and Porter Wagner you know, owned the show that she got her start on. I don't remember what it was called, but she got her start singing with this established older country dude, Porter Wagner. And as her career was taking off, she wanted to leave the show to pursue her own career, you know, and she actually wrote the song, I Will Always Love You about him when she was leaving. She's yeah. like, you know, and I guess he was like, okay, leave. But then he sued her for $3 million or something like that and talked shit about her to the press and all this stuff and behaved very badly. Mm -hmm. And, but despite that, years, years later, when he was in financial trouble, 
she bought his song catalog to help him out yeah when she was doing very well and then she was also by his deathbed in 2007 yeah and i remember in this podcast the host asked her why she would forgive him like that and i just i really remember that she just said forgiveness is all there is like that and that was just it was this very like organic response by her where she was just like well i uh, forgiveness is all there is and that really stuck with me and you know as i've gotten older i've come around to forgiveness and i feel like you know as a queer person in the united states we're so used to having our guards up and trying to protect ourselves. And I I mean, that's for a good reason. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Anticipating also maybe anticipating that it's going to be hard and we're going to be attacked in some way or another. We have to be ready to protect ourselves or defend ourselves. Yeah. Or if somebody, you know, does wrong by you or at some point that they are, you know, toxic or abusive or whatever and there is abuse and that is real and you know i feel like for a long time i was listening to these messages of like that if somebody hurts you they are automatically toxic and what you need to do is cut them off because they're beyond hope right and there are some people who that's true about yes but i have sort of come to this place where there are certain people who when i have cut them off, it's ended up hurting me as well. You know, like, I mean, I specifically think about, well, my dad, you know, like for years I cut him off. And I mean, we don't have like a wonderful, like fairy tale relationship now, you know, but coming to this point of seeing him as a human with a lot of flaws, you know, and being strong enough and solid in myself in my life where I'm in the position almost like Joseph of being like, I am in the more powerful position and I can offer this forgiveness to you has been really positive to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. It also, I've seen it have a positive effect on you. It has seemed to come at a point where you are confident and in yourself and comfortable with yourself to know that you are now at a point where maybe not I was going to say like you're at a point where you can't be hurt but that that's not true I mean I think that you're at a point where even if you are hurt it's not going to be it's not going to hurt you so badly that you won't be able to take it and move on from it like it's not going to permanently like damage you. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's something where like, or maybe it might also be something where now this relationship is worth the risk because it's giving you, you are getting more benefit and you are getting more good things from working through having this good relationship and working on having a positive relationship with your dad than having him not in your life at all anymore. 
And I think it takes a lot of awareness and maturity to come to that level to be able to say, you know, at this point, I, I understand I may get hurt, but it's worth it because I want this thing in my life because it's going to be positive. I don't know. But well, I mean, I mean, that didn't really come out too. as well as I felt in my heart. But yeah, I mean, and it's interesting, too, like if I think the person who's doing the forgiving, at least in these three and Joseph, Dolly Parton and me, mm, <laughs> you know, that's these a three, memoir waiting to be written. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dolly and me. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like we are doing at this point, we are doing this forgiving from this place of being really secure. Yes, it, absolutely. Like Dolly Parton in the 80s or 90s or whenever that was very secure in herself and her career. Joseph mm -hmm. is very secure. I feel very secure yeah. right now. It's almost as if now at this point you are able to forgive. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting to think about this as it relates to forgiveness, that security affords you the, you know, ability to forgive right luxury um, of forgiveness almost i was thinking about that right sue mm -hmm. i was thinking like oh is but right but and then i was like oh is forgiveness a luxury right but so as you were telling your story jay i was thinking about when i came out to my parents which was about 10 which is a different thing than forgiveness right because uh, you know but the logic that informed the timing was that it was about 10 years after i myself had sort of like realized that oh there's different feelings here <laughs> but also very much part of the calculus was nothing is going wrong right now right and so you know because I had sort of been through this series of like false starts and stops and, you know, right? Like it was like, oh, I'm off to college. Oops. Like that only lasted a semester. Like, oh, I'm off to the Navy. Like, okay. And now I'm back in college. Oops. <laughs> Oops. I did it again. <laughs> now I'm back in the Navy, you know? And it was like, this seemed to be like the moment that I was like, I was home for some sort of vacation or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, nothing is going wrong. There's not like the threat of some failure on the horizon. Like everything's going right. I think I had made chief maybe, and I was maybe I was about to go to um, Maryland. And I was like, this is as good as it's going to get for me. So I'm going to like from this position of like strength and relative stability, you mm. know, I'm going to, you know, sort of venture to do this thing. And so it just makes me think about like those, the kind of power dynamics that are at play, right? Because Joseph is able to do, you know, it's a lot easier to be magnanimous when you're <laughs> on top of the world, you know, like, right, yeah. or at least when things are going right, you know then you can be like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll chance this, you know, or I'll take a shot at forgiveness or I'll, you know, like, and, you know, how much of that is a natural cycle, right? And we're sort of wary of naturalizing things, right? And certainly in the academy, but, you know, the idea of as you achieve more distance from home, right, you have also achieved more independence, you know, 
And yet in my story, right, it's like, well, you've achieved distance from home. Ostensibly, you've achieved more independence. But also the only reason why you feel comfortable doing this is because everything is going right. And so they can't be mad at you for like (laughs) A, B, C, or D, right? So like, you know, maybe it's okay to do this, right? Or, Or reveal this. So it is, I just think about Joseph and his brothers and Joseph and his father and, you know, how we've, you know, the part of this story and part of our positionality as readers is to see, you know, a young Jacob, right? The trickster Jacob evolve over time into this sort of patriarch figure who then, you know, is diminished, right? As we all are, as we get older, such that, he, you know, even as he's dispensing these blessings, right? We're like, what are you talking about? You know, like, mm-hmm. and how much of that is like, what's this old dude talking about? You know, <laughs> so yeah, it's just very, yeah. it's very interesting the way that this sort of biblical story and, and biblical family can resonate with our own stories and our own families. Yeah, you know? I mean, this is just making me think more about the power dynamics in terms of forgiveness, right? Because forgiveness, I think, means something different if you are in a position of relative power over somebody versus if that person still has power over you. I mean, I almost feel like truly in order to forgive, and this is just what I'm feeling right now, I might change my mind, but in order to actually be able to forgive, you need to either be on equal power footing or have more power than somebody, right? Because if you have less power, what does that mean? To forgive, I don't know. To forgive somebody who's more powerful than you, who cares? Am I wrong? I don't know. Well, I, I think part of it is also personal. Like, I mean, how did, how is it going to make the individual feel? if they can forgive someone. I think part of it is a personal journey of I'm not going to hold on to this vendetta or this hate or this hurt or this feeling like I am in in whatever way, maybe not in a power dynamic way, but in whatever way in my own life, I am secure enough in myself to be able to forgive them for what they did for me in my past because I need to give myself power and permission to move on. I need to give myself strength. Like it's, it's, it's empowering. I think no matter where you are on like the power dynamic scale, you know, maybe for these people who were, Oh no, no, go ahead. Well, I'm just wondering, it occurred to me to ask, to, to, to wonder about when I've really been, when I've really felt wronged by a person such that I would, you know, that forgiving them would be a big, would be a big thing. And I think sometimes, you know, I remember a priest friend of mine saying like, oh, you really need to forgive him, you know? And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not mad, you know, like, I'm not, I don't, what are you talking about? You know, like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's totally fine. Like, and then 10 more years of therapy revealed, oh, I guess I really did need to do some work on that, you know? So it's like, you know, and then to what extent can you forgive a person who hasn't asked you for forgiveness, right? So that's a question that I was thinking about in terms of like, 
people that I've been super angry at. I remember when I was leaving the Navy, you know, and I felt like someone had lied to me about how this was all going to go down. And that I was ready to just never speak to that person again, you know, and it was a person that I saw every day in the building that I worked, you know. And so I wonder about because it's been said, right, that you can't forgive somebody if they haven't asked you for forgiveness. And I'm not so sure that that's true, if not just for our own sanity. But the power issue is that happens on multiple levels, right? Like, you know, Joseph is in a position of material power over these brothers, right? But there's also, you know, one can also be in a position of psychological power, Mm -hmm, right? Emotional mm -hmm. power, right? Mm -hmm. So you may have less, you may be able to do less, right? But right then the question is, well, to what extent does my letting go of this and forgiving this person increase my sort of psychological and emotional agency, right? Mm -hmm. And give me that kind of power, even if I don't have material power, you know, in relation to this other person. Mm, yeah yeah that makes sense i think i was thinking of that all right sue want to wrap it up what do you remember about this i remember sorry did we already do this because i feel like i gave a rundown of like you gave a rundown of the last one. Oh, okay this uh, is the deathbed one yeah no i thought i gave a rundown of the deathbed one where it was like jacob just yells at people maybe mm. not maybe i didn't well here's my rundown here's what i remember Jacob's dying. He's like, I'm dying. And mm-hmm. he's like, hey, Joseph, your children, my grandsons are now my children. Hey, uh, and I cross my hands over. It's a callback. The first mm-hmm. and the second. <laughs> Joseph's like, hey, dad, your hands, you swapped them. And he's like, no, it's intentional. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then he just yell and predicts all his kids. And he, he slam poems. He writes slam poems about <laughs> all of his kids. <laughs> and he dies. And then at some point, Joseph also dies. And he's only 110. Ah, oh, gone far too soon. <laughs> yes, that that's the gist. That's the main stuff that I remember. Great. And Joseph yeah. is like, whenever you all leave, which you will eventually, send oh, yeah. my bones back to Kate. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, and the, the sending and the burying and the place. And, the, and then Jacob also had kept saying under his breath, he's like, except Rebecca, I buried her at the side mm-hmm. of the room. <laughs> but anyway, bury me in the right place. And Joseph's like, bury me in the right place too. Bye. Beep. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And embalming happens in 40 days of embalming, but they're mourned for 70 days because they're pillars of the community and everybody loves them. Uh, okay, great. Perfect. Next time on It's in the Book, the book of Genesis, with special guest Joy Layden. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us for this, the penultimate episode of It's in the Book, season two. We have finished the book of Genesis. We finally made it. And next week for our season finale, we have a very special guest, Joy Layden will be here to look back on the book of Genesis and wrap it up in a sense, as well as anyone can wrap up the book of Genesis. 
Thank you for bearing with the audio quality of these last few episodes. As I may have mentioned in the last episode, I was overtired. This year has been bananas. Full disclosure, right now I have a scratched cornea and my right eye is leaking water as if it is a waterfall. So things are just, it's a lot. It's a lot. The audio quality was not fantastic for these past couple of episodes, and I appreciate your bearing with me on that. And again, I will plug that I have a TikTok now. It has almost a thousand followers. Is that what you call them? Uh, Yeah, that's right famous. So if you uh, would like to follow me on there, I am Rev, I think I'm Rev J Sylvan. I'm either Rev J Sylvan or Rev Sylvan. Just find me on there. It's fun. I would like to thank my patrons for helping to make this show possible. If you'd like to join us, you can check out patreon.com slash jsylvan. I do hope you'll join us in two weeks for our finale with our special guest. Be well, be good. Thank you.